Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Welcome to Mo Forecast, a podcast series where experts from Morrison and Forrester make predictions about enforcement and policy trends in the upcoming Biden administration. Today, we'll be discussing the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. I'm your host, James Kukios, co-head of MoFo Securities Litigation Enforcement and White Collar Practice Group. I am pleased to be speaking today with two veterans of the Southern District, Chip Lowenson and Carrie Cohen. Between the two of them, they have, I think, 13 or more years of experience at the Southern District. Chip and Carrie are now both members of MoFo's Investigations and White Collar Defense Practice Group and represent companies and individuals in criminal matters in the Southern District and beyond. Chip and Carrie, before we get into your predictions for the future, let's set the stage for the current context. What were the Southern District's enforcement priorities and trends during the Trump administration? Well, James, before we talk about the trends and their priorities during the past four years, the sort of banner issue for the Southern District was how atypical the past four years have been for the Southern District of New York. That is an office that traditionally is not used to having any drama, meaning that they're used to stability in their U.S. attorneys and in their exec team. They are not used to being the focal point of news, meaning they're used to their cases being the focal point of news, but not the office necessarily itself. And certainly, you know, when the Trump administration began, the drama for the Southern District began in that U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara at first had his much publicized visit to Trump Tower to meet with President-elect Trump um, and was told that he was going to be able to stay in the job and he agreed to do so. Then about four months later, under President Trump, asked all the U.S. attorneys to resign through, of course, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions at the time. So all 46 U.S. attorneys who were, quote, holdovers from the prior administration were asked to resign. And that apparently included Preparara, although he wasn't necessarily sure if he was included in that, given his prior meeting with President-elect Trump. And so there was, you know, a couple days of much angst and consternation within that office about whether Pre was part of the 46 who were being asked to resign or was staying and ended up, of course, in a much publicized way that he was fired the next day. He was succeeded by his deputy at the time, June Kim, who became the acting U.S. attorney. Um, And that just created for the office just a lot of unease. They are not used to their U.S. attorneys being fired. Um, There is when there's a change in administration, of course, there can always be and usually is a change in the U.S. attorney, but it's normally a much calmer, more normal transition. And this certainly was not. June was acting U.S. attorney for quite some time. I think it was about six or eight months. But the office was very nervous about who would be picked to succeed him and particularly nervous that it be someone in the traditions of the office, meaning that it would be an alum of the office. And June Kim was replaced by an alum of the office, Jeff Berman. And I think there was a lot of nervousness around the office about that pick, but he very quickly established himself um, to be in the best traditions of that office as someone who follows the facts wherever they lead. He initially was appointed interim by Attorney General Sessions for a statutory period of 120 days. So there was no Senate confirmation. Again, this is all very atypical for that office that tends to not have these sort of upheavals at the top. 
And then to make things even more unusual, as I think many of the listeners may remember, the chief judge of the Southern District of New York on behalf of a unanimous court ended up being the one to appoint Berman to be the U.S. attorney for an indeterminate term. On that order of appointment made statements, again, that was atypical about the independence of that office. And just from the inside of the office, I had left the office, but have a lot of matters before the office and have colleagues, former colleagues and friends in the office. And the past four years were just a period of, you know, a lot of angst and a lot of turmoil that that office would continue to be allowed to do what it does best, which is to follow the facts wherever they lead. But Chip, maybe if I can turn it over to you to talk about what happened after Berman was appointed. Carrie uh, said that it was an atypical four years at the Southern District. So there were four U.S. attorneys in four years. Carrie told you about Preparara, then June Kim, then Jeff Berman. And then it got really interesting. Uh, in June of 2020, Attorney General Barr announced that Jeff Berman had resigned and would be replaced by Jay Clayton, who was then chair of the SEC. There was only one problem, one minor detail, and that is that Berman said that the resignation was news to him and that he had not, in fact, resigned. And it was widely reported at the time that uh, the office, Berman's office, was investigating former Southern District U.S. Attorney Rudy Giuliani for his various activities in Ukraine, as well as other investigations that the White House may not have liked. Berman finally agreed to resign only after Maine Justice agreed that Berman's deputy, Audrey Strauss, also an alum of the Southern District before she went back to be deputy, would become the acting U.S. attorney. Um, the, the back and forth over this uh, dramatic weekend included news from Maine Justice that Berman had been offered uh, to be head of the civil division at Maine Justice, but Berman said that also wasn't true. And so there was a lot of back and forth resulting in Audrey Strauss becoming the acting U.S. attorney, and she still is. So um, aside from all that turnover at the top, uh, the Southern District also had its share of uh, interference from Washington that the Southern District is not used to. Uh, some people um, sometimes derisively call the Southern District the sovereign district because the office has prided itself on being independent from Washington, from, from Maine Justice, and certainly from the White House. But the, the New York Times reported that, that President Trump had, at the request of Turkish President Erdogan, blocked the indictment of a Turkish bank, Hulk Bank, for violating Iran sanctions, and that, that Berman had protested to Attorney General Barr. It was known that Hulk Bank was under investigation. One of its top bankers had been indicted and convicted and it was only after there was some uh, unwanted Turkish action in northern Syria uh, that the White House abruptly changed course. And right after that, Hulk Bank was indicted. And then on top of all of this turmoil, of course, we had COVID in, in uh, early from March of this year till now. And the Southern District just you know, isn't used to working remotely or from home. Um, agents couldn't be in the field. Grand juries could not sit. All the criminal trials were on hold. And that was really the, the story of what happened in the Southern District during the Trump administration. 
I'm kind of exhausted from hearing that, but I am wondering, and maybe you can predict this later, will this be the plot of another Billions episode? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but let's now turn to the future. Uh, Chip and Carrie, what are your predictions about the Southern District's enforcement priorities and trends under the Biden administration? Well, I think the Southern District will be very happy to return back to a time of less drama, especially at the top. You know, I think, you know, in the immediacy, there's a lot of discussion going around now about who may be picked to be nominated to be the new U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. There are, of course, a lot of positions that the Biden administration has to fill uh, before perhaps turning to the U.S. attorney's offices. And in the Southern District, you know, they have, and this has been reported in the news, you know, ongoing investigations that relate to at least associates of the current president. And so there might be, you know, given the need to make so many appointments and fill so many open slots that there might be some time before a new U.S. attorney gets appointed in the Southern District. Audrey Strauss is very well respected. um, And I think, you know, leaving her in place for some time period, you know, might be what happens. So I think leaving Audrey Strauss in place, at least for some time period, might be what happens in the immediate um, future. But, you know, looking a little farther ahead, Senator Schumer, of course, sort of drives the appointment of the Southern District U.S. Attorney along um, with Kristen Gillibrand. And, you know, Southern District U.S. Attorney is sort of a plum pick. Um, And so, you know, I expect Senator Schumer and his screening committee to be working the phones and talking to various people. I expect any pick will be in the traditions of the office an alum of the Southern District of New York. And, you know, there are a lot of candidates and there are a lot of, it's a wealth of great, well-respected, experienced attorneys to choose from. But I expect that the pick will be a creative lawyer who doesn't shy away from tough cases. But also, I think given the current climate um, in policing, I think they will be looking to someone who is sensitive to criminal justice reform, as well as someone, though, who has good relationships with law enforcement. And lastly, I think diversity is a priority for this administration, but certainly also a priority for Schumer. So I think that may play into the mix in terms of the pick for Southern District. Um, I think once the new U.S. attorney is in place, the office will look forward to the absence of all the drama that occurred. Um, And, you know, they will, the new U.S. attorney always comes in with different ideas and different priorities, although I think Chip will talk about a little bit about our collective view on what we think can be expected once a new U.S. attorney is in place. We think that the the pace of white collar investigations and prosecutions will pick up. That's almost a certainty, not so much due to new leadership, but because of the uh, fading out of the pandemic whenever that occurs. And most people think it will occur by the second half of 2021. During COVID, um, agents uh, weren't knocking on doors. Uh, They weren't interviewing witnesses in person. Um, Federal investigators in all of the federal law enforcement agencies, and this is, so it's not just a Southern District issue, put a lot of investigations on hold during the pandemic. We, we all had cases, you know, back in the late winter, early spring, where there were interviews that were about to happen, testimony that was about to happen. And a lot of that 
still hasn't happened. Also during COVID, um, Maine Justice was slow to perform some of the what had been you know routine approvals like uh, for wiretaps, uh, use immunity, and partly it was because people were were um, working from home and that was that was difficult. Uh, but also, you know, as in the last year of an administration, a lot of people had left and hadn't hadn't been replaced. So there were some staffing shortages. Um, so um, once we you get fully staffed in the new administration, you're not going to have those kind of bottlenecks at Maine Justice. Also, in, in the Southern District, um, there was for a while, there was no grand jury activity. Then there was a little grand jury activity. And now Chief Judge McMahon has closed the courthouse. So once again, there's no grand jury activity. And so without a grand jury, obviously, you can't indict new cases. And same issue with criminal trials. There it was none, then a few. Now it's off again. So there's a there's a huge backlog. So the end of COVID is certainly going to increase the pace of investigations, uh, prosecutions, trials. Um, we can also expect uh, some, just in the Southern District, um, certain programmatic priorities. Obviously, it's going to depend on who the new U.S. attorney is. That person uh, will have his or her own priorities. But the interesting thing about the Southern District is that it traditionally hasn't had to decide where it wants to focus its attention. This, the U.S. attorney doesn't have to pick an area or two or three where the office wants to dedicate its time and attention. The big cases have always seemed to roll in to the Southern District. Since Manhattan is the, the center of the U.S. financial industry, a lot of cases involving insider trading, financial fraud, money laundering, sanctions, and sadly, terrorism, find their natural location in the Southern District of New York. With that said, every U.S. attorney tries to have some priority areas. So what will it be for the new U.S. attorney? Hard to tell. It could be that there'll be more focus on tech companies and the issues that surround them, especially now that some of the big ones like Google and Amazon are getting bigger uh, in, in New York. Uh, it's not just going to be the Northern District of California that sees those cases. There could also be disclosure issues around uh, data breaches that you know, the Southern District hasn't yet made fraudulent disclosures related to a data breach. So that, you know, it's mostly speculation, but that could be something that a new U.S. attorney uh, might want to do. Looking ahead, one thing we know that we, I can be pretty confident about, and that is that the Southern District is going to continue to get the lion's share of insider trading cases. Um, even though you know, the, the law in this area is, to, to use the technical legal term, a mess. And this isn't, this isn't going to be a brand new trend. This is something that goes back decades. The majority of insider trading prosecutions in the country have been brought in the Southern District of New York. A lot of the defendants in those cases uh, lived and worked in Manhattan, at brokerage firms, hedge funds, investment banks, law firms. Um, so the office has built up experience and expertise in insider trading cases. So federal law enforcement agencies tend to bring the insider trading cases there. We'd also expect that the, there will be 
PPP loan fraud cases in the Southern District. And it won't just be the Southern District. That'll happen in other districts around the country. We can also expect some accounting fraud cases. Um, some of it will come from companies and in industries hard hit by COVID. Remember that Warren Buffett said about our, our last financial crisis, only when the tide goes out, you discover who's been swimming naked. So it, after the last financial crisis, remember the Southern District did the Madoff prosecution when his decades-long Ponzi scheme finally was uncovered as a result of the financial crisis. And then going back to an earlier uh, financial crisis, there were some major accounting fraud cases uh, that followed the economic downturn of uh, 2000, 2001, WorldCom, Adelphi, those were done in the Southern District. And although the, the pain of, of the COVID downturn has not been evenly distributed, there have been certain industries and companies in certain industries that have been really challenged. And there may, you know, there may be some accounting fraud cases that will come out of that. The head of the, uh, the Securities and Commodities Fraud Task Force in the Southern District, Damian Williams, spoke recently at a PLI conference, and, and he was asked, what are the priorities for the office? And he, he said that they intend to focus on accounting fraud cases and also pre-IPO fraud. And those kinds of cases may be spread around other districts. These aren't necessarily going to happen only in the Southern District. Carrie, since your, your area is public corruption, that's what you did in the office. Why don't you um, tell us what, what you see in that area? So, you know, under Pre Ferraro, the Southern District was very active in the public corruption space, kept a close eye on Albany, which was a dependable source of those cases for the Southern District, but as well as, um, you know, at home base, a couple blocks from the office, the city council, and there were numerous um, prosecutions of city officials as well. Um, under pre administration. You know, I would expect the public corruption, they've now, the Southern District has developed an expertise in that area as well. Also, it's an area where few other prosecutor's offices fill the void. The local prosecutor's offices sometimes are too close to the different elected officials to do the cases. And so I would expect the focus on public corruption to continue under the new administration. And certainly, the office under the Trump administration, as you know, we all know, because that was sort of nightly news, they took that expertise that they had developed and you know applied it during the Trump administration to a variety of different types of corruption matters. And since we're talking about public corruption, I just want to make a, a brief interruption to note that Carrie is too modest to mention that she led the successful prosecution of Sheldon Silver, who was then the Speaker of the New York State Assembly when she was in the Southern District. Sorry, Carrie, but I had to throw that in. Yeah. Well, luckily, I have partners like Chip to be my personal PR machines. So it sounds like both of you expect that the Southern District will be very busy going forward. And with that, what advice would you give companies for how they can prepare for enforcement in the Southern District going forward? So I think now for the next six months, um, especially in Southern with COVID and the courts shutting down again, and the backlog of cases, and there'll be a backlog of investigations as well, combined with having an acting U.S. attorney, you know, the next six months or so, I wouldn't expect a lot of new investigations to get started. And so I think for the companies out there, it's a good time to do what we always advise to do when there is sort of a lull in 
enforcement and investigations, which is use that time wisely to enhance your compliance, to do tabletops, including on substantive matters, but also on crisis management. Because as Chip said, you know, in the new administration, they will start to ramp up and there will be a great focus on white collar enforcement. And it won't just be at Southern District of New York, it'll be throughout DOJ and the rest of the federal government. And so I think to our listeners out there, you know, you know what to do, but it bears mentioning that you should take a close look at your current compliance program, see what gaps there are, or see what different policies and procedures you can enhance. Take a look at your insider trading policies and procedures, make sure they're up to date, make sure they're state of the art. I would be especially wary of aggressive or creative accounting moves, particularly if you're in a business or an industry that's been challenged by COVID. Um, related also to what Chip said, you know, if you have received any federal loans during the pandemic, you know, making sure that the money that you received is properly accounted for and was spent appropriately, because there's certainly going to be a great effort made by the federal government to make sure that the money that they doled out to help companies stay afloat and keep people employed during the pandemic was spent in the manner in which it was supposed to be. So I think given all of the arrows pointing to increased enforcement, uh, training focused on compliance with the law and your policies and procedures, updates, state of the art, that is all really essential and a good way to spend your money to the extent you can on those areas for the sort of the first half of 2021. Great, thanks. This is the end of our Mo Forecast episode on enforcement and policy trends for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York and the upcoming Biden administration. Once again, I'm your host, James Kukios, speaking with Chip Lowenson and Carrie Cohen. If you liked today's episode, please visit the MoFo website and join us for additional installments of the Mo Forecast series covering predictions for enforcement and policy trends in other areas of the law. Thanks for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.